The final season of Power Book 2, Ghost, begins. And for Tariq St. Patrick, it's the moment of truth. In the wake of being betrayed, pushed out of the drug game, and almost killed, Tariq is out for revenge. Will he prove to be like his father and do whatever is to be done to protect his family and his future? Or is he his own man? Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now only on Stars and the Stars app. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears. Real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yes, what's going on, y'all? It's your boy, my son. I'm here by myself today. I'm holding up the slack for, our, for my co-host, our sister, Tamika Mallory. You know, that State of Emergency book is fire. She's on tour. She's doing a lot of things. We just left the Freedom Rise tour. Shout out to Black Voters Matter. We were on tour with them, which we did three of the, the seven cities and states that they did. Then we went to D.C. and did an action to end the filibuster, you know, in which we got arrested. We did so much stuff this week. It was a tiring week, and now she's on the road. So let's give her some prayers and make sure that, you know, she has travel and mercies. But in the meantime, your boy, my son, is here. You know, I'm going to give you a couple updates. Yes, we did do the Freedom Rides tour, and it was amazing. Shout out to Latasha Brown and everybody at Black Voters Matter. It was a beautiful experience. You know, we did, um, we did three different states. We did Atlanta. We did um, South Carolina and we ended off in DC in which we talked about the voting rights and how they're trying to push back our voting rights and how it's um, imperative that we continue to show up. And it's imperative that we fight to make sure that our rights are given to us. So that was a beautiful tour. Then um, we went to DC prior to that to do an action with my Until Freedom family. Shout out to um, Linda Sarsour and Angelo Pinto, in which we went to end the filibuster. And shout out to Stephen Green also, who was one of the organizers of this action in which we, we demonstrated and did civil disobedience in DC, in which we were arrested. And, um, and it, it, it made sense, man. You know, a lot of times people like, oh yeah, I'm marching. What are y'all doing all this for? You know, everybody has a role to play. You know, and I say that all the time, in order to fight for civil rights, in order for us to get the freedom, in order for us to get everything that we say we want, there has to be some level of sacrifice. So when we go out there and we make a conscious decision that we're going to do civil disobedience, that we're going to sacrifice our freedoms, because we don't know how the police are going to react. There are times when the police are violent with us. There are times when police are respectful to us. There's times that we sit in cell for, for long days then it's sometimes that we sit in there, surely. So we never know what to expect, you know, but we know that in order to get some level of understanding, to bring awareness and attention to these issues that we're fighting, it takes that sacrifice. It takes us to be willing to give our freedom, 
our bodies and our life, if need be, to the cause. You know, so a lot of people don't understand it. They're like, yo, I don't understand why y'all march, why do y'all protest? Because that is the first, that is the first form of awareness. You know, in order for us, there's march, there's protest, there's planning, then there we need policy changes. You know, we demand policy changes and we continue. And then there's a worldwide call for policy changes. Change and freedom are not free. They don't just happen. You know, people just think, oh, you, you, you know, I don't understand why you're doing this. Well, maybe you don't understand. You know, there are people telling me, yo, you know, I don't understand why y'all still voting. And I'm like, I don't understand why you're not voting. You know, it's, it's bigger than the fact that our ancestors just died for us to vote. You know, it's our future needs these votes. If you are not involved in the process of voting, but you still, I say this all the time, if you're not involved in the process of voting, but you still have to live under the regime, under the policies, under the laws that are passed, and those laws are still governing you, and you still are governed by those laws, and you live by those rules, and you have to participate in everything that we have to participate in, but you are not involved in the process to elect the people who implement those laws, it is insanity. Unless you have a real organized plan. If you are not voting, right, then you're not counted in the vote. If you're not voting, then you are what they call a low perplexity voter. They do not care about you. You are somebody who is not even on the table. You are not, they're not thinking about your issues. They don't care what it is that you want because you are pretty much a ghost. So what happens is when candidates come, they think about the issues of those people who they know are voting. They want to appeal. They want to figure out how do I attract those people who are going to go to these polls. And if you are not one of those, if you have never been one of those, they are not trying to attract you. They are not worried about your issues because they don't even know what your issues are. And if you don't, if you're not doing this and you're not sitting out with a, a, a large number of constituents and people who are able to vote, if you haven't put together and said, okay, we have over 5 million people and we're not going to vote. And all of us are saying we're not voting, right? Until these things happen. That makes sense to me. With you as an individual just saying, I'm not voting and you stupid for doing it, but you have no collective plan. You have no unity. You have put nothing together to combat the structure that is here but yet you still have to live in this structure, it makes no sense. So yes, we went out there to advocate for our rights to vote, to make sure that the way they're rolling back the, the rights to vote in Atlanta and all the way through the South because of what happened in this election, because the black vote was able to turn the tide and switch this election around. So now they wanna do everything they can to suppress the black vote. So we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. We, we, we see our power. So now it's time for us to say, okay, we got four years to get this. We got a little less than four years right now to get this together and say, okay, the next people that we elect locally, president, everything have to adhere to these causes. This is what we need. We need this document. We need these things to be on the first agenda. You know, that's, that's what we, that is the process that we should be in now. We, we've seen how we're able to mobilize. We've seen that when we've turned out the vote, what is able to do. Now it's time for us to say, okay, we are collectively coming together as one. And we are demanding certain things happen in order for us to 
to even have a candidate. And, and, and actually, we can create our own candidate when we have those principles, when we have what it is that we want. Now we can sit and say, okay, this person right here is who we want to represent us. And we're going to put all of our energy behind that person because they fit the mold of exactly this that we want. But just not voting and saying it's you, you're doing something by not voting makes no sense. It just doesn't make sense. And anybody who's trying to tell you that just not voting without doing something else or creating something else to combat the structure is doing something, they're lying to you. You know, so that's what we did, man. We did, we had a whole weekend, a lot of things coming up, you know, so I want you to stay tuned. Once again, Tamika is on tour, but she will be back soon. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghost, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer. Requires 0% APR 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? their year. These are the moments of unscripted, pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood. You've waited all season for this. It's time to take it to the next level. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. That's how we own it! This episode is one that's really dear to me. Um, it's called King Stop Killing Kings. It's an it's a, um, initiative that I started right after the death of the late, great Nipsey Hussle. You know, he was, as we know, he was killed by another black man. And just thinking about that sparked something in me. And I, and I did a rally in the Bronx, which brought out a lot of people. Then shortly after that, we went to New Jersey and did the same thing. We went to Baltimore and did the same thing. Then we did another one 
in in New York again. So, you know, it's something I've been intentional about, you know, really trying to stop the violence in our communities. You know, I understand that poverty is violence. So I understand what the root is. You know, they say where, where there's darkness, there will be sin. But the guilty one is not the one who commits the sin, but it's he who creates the darkness. You know, and that's just pretty much saying that the situations that we live in is nothing else that can happen but violence. You know, but we have to figure out a way to combat that, to build our communities, to get the resources in our communities, to change the mind state of our young kings, you know, and, and put them on the right track. So this episode is pretty much dedicated to that. You know, um, my brother Prince Map is going to show up today, and he's somebody that I really look up to, man, a brother from Queens who actually was a shooter, you know, and he was incarcerated. He did 20 years for taking a life. Um, and since he's been home after the 20 years, he's a complete 360. He's been invested in preventing violence in the communities, mentoring these young kids, you know, and um, he is the head of community and culture at Citizen. And um, he's somebody that we really need to hear for. I say all the time that those directly impacted have to be the ones who create the solutions. So, you know, he's going to be on. We also have another one of our brothers, Shan Duke McFadder, who um, is the founder of GMAC and is gangsters making astronomical community changes. And he's another brother who was in the streets. He's, he's a gang member, still a gang member, but he utilizes his influence for positivity and to take the guns out of the hands of the shooters and employ the gang members and give them positive you know, structures. Because originally what we know is that gangs were originally started to combat police violence in our communities. They were about brotherly love and protecting our communities. And he's one of those brothers who are putting those principles back into what the gangs mean. So we're gonna hear from him. And you know, we're gonna have an excellent episode, man. So make sure that you tune in and we're gonna be right back. That's how we own it. Welcome back to this episode of Street Politicians. We, we labeled this episode King Stop Killing Kings episode. Um, we were originally supposed to interview Ms. Jenkins, who is a woman who lost all three of her children to gun violence. But unfortunately, due to um, some circumstances that she had to deal with, originally she had got a call from an officer who had some leads in one of the murders of one of her children, which she became very um, emotional and couldn't do the interview. And then we've been trying to connect, but she's still working. She's still dealing with a lot of things, but she definitely wants to do the interview. So we'll definitely take time to do that interview in the near future. But, you know, we still have someone who I feel is very dear to this work. Someone who I see as a brother, someone who is a community um, activist, who is who speaks from experience, who speaks from, you know, a, a place of being very genuine. You know, someone who, since I met him, he's been the same way, his, his will, and his want to do this work and to do something to change his community is something that's like none other. My brother, his name is Prince Matt. He is the head of community and culture at the Citizen App. Welcome, brother. How you doing today? Good, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, Mice. Well, thanks for being here, man. Um, like, you know, I always tell you, man, I appreciate the work you do, you know, understanding the circumstances, understanding where we come from, and how it, difficult it is to change and watching you be 
a leader in that change, watching you, you know, reflect what it really looks like to come from the community and protect the community and grow and evolve, man. You're somebody that I respect. And, you know, and I just want to give you your flowers while you're here, man. The work that you're doing and the way that you evolved is, is nothing short of admirable. I appreciate that. So before before we start, Mike, if I may, I would like to um send my send an apology to Ms. Jenkins um, from being a, a victim of gun violence and, a, and also a perpetrator of gun violence, um, where I spent half my life in prison for. I want to personally apologize for the shooter because she may not never get that. You know what I'm saying? Um, she may not never get that 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 genuine apology that's come from a shooter for those who killed her three sons. And for anyone who has been a victim of gun violence, I personally, Prince, I personally apologize for every last one of them for a lot of them do not know the the um the consequences and the hurt and pain and trauma that they have caused. So before we even start anything, I'm gonna take full responsibility because I played a part in this violence in America. I played a part in gun violence specifically in America. And I wanna take a first say I apologize for them and many more to come. So before we start that, man, I want to give my my my, my utmost condolences to Miss Jenkins and, and her um, her family. Well, and that's it's things like that, brothers. Why I admire you, and I look up to you, and I wanted to have you on the show because you know, like you said, you work in the field of gun violence, and you actually have been a perpetrator of gun violence, and you understand both dualities. You understand the reality that the shooter has. You understand the reality that someone who is not the shooter has, and you've been able to, um, to see both sides. You know, you, you spent, like you said, you spent half of your life in prison. Could you give us a little, you know, tell us about that situation and how that occurred? Of course, um, just bottom line is I was a coward. You know, um, I, I made a coward act. You know, I, um, I could fight with my hands, but I was much more tougher when I walked around every day with a gun on my waist. You know what I mean? It made me feel powerful, it made me feel um, invisible, you know what I'm saying? And I was shot twice in South Jamaica, Queens, um, both in robbery attempts the last time I was shot for my chain. And it wasn't it wasn't um, if I was gonna shoot somebody or kill somebody, it was when, you know what I mean? So when I got shot a second time, you know, I started to get a lot of feedback from people in the community, but it wasn't really like saying, Prince, you need to go retaliate. It was like, I was making stories up in my head that they wanted me to go retaliate. They wanted me to do something to show that I was tough. And, and I say I was a coward in the beginning because it was a coward act, you know what I'm saying? Because no one, no person, no matter what the circumstances deserves to lose their life over anything. You know what I'm saying? Real men talk things out. And I took the coward way out. I pulled the gun out and I shot somebody five times and I took his life, you know what I'm saying? And um, I, paid, I, I, I paid my debt to society you know, but I can never repay my debt to the family, you know what I'm saying? Because I took a life, I took I took someone from them that they're never gonna see again. You know, I get to see my children, I get to see my grandson, you know what I'm saying? So I ended up spending 18 years in prison, but you know, I don't wanna justify for my behavior, but I was uneducated. You know, I did lack resources. I didn't have opportunities, you know what I'm saying? That, that was presented to me that I have today, you know what I mean? And those things, those elements of my life, um, propelled me to make terrible decisions. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't an accident on my part. An accident is like driving a car and having a car accident. It wasn't an accident. My act was intentional. You know what I'm saying? So it was a bad decision on my part, Mice. 
And I regret it to this day, you know, and, and spending 18 years in prison. I, I, I want to be clear about something because a lot of people come on your show and they, and they say these things like they spend time, but, you know, and it rolls off their tongue so easily. 18 years. I don't want you to think about 18 years in years, months, or days. Think about 18 years in seconds. That's how long it is. There's something about the clocks in prison that you hear every tick on the clock. You know what I'm saying? So think about doing that time in seconds. And then when it, what, when did you come to a point where you used to be disgusted with the life you live and start to change? Because my change started in prison. I didn't change when I came home because I, I, I didn't want to be the same person I was when I left. I left uneducated. I left um, not taking care of responsibilities. I left destroying my community. I sold crack to pregnant women. I sold crack to family members. You know what I'm saying? I did the, the most disgusting things in my life. You know what I mean? So every day I want to live, I want to be intentional. Every day I want to try to give back. And this is why I wake up every day and I try to stop at least one kid from losing his life. Amen. Speak, speaking of such, man, um, you've been working with, you know, is a video that went viral with a young man who was chasing a young man down and he fell by some children and the young man still was, was shooting him like right with the kids there and just disregard, you know, and um, you've been working with one of them. I don't know exactly which, which family of uh, that situation. How has that, how has that been? Again, that's the coward that I talk about. You know what I mean? That's the coward that I speak of. That was me. You know, we no regard for human life. You know what I'm saying? And when you got that gun, you're not even thinking, you're not even thinking straight. I'm actually working with the two children and their family. You know what I'm saying? Because the 10 year old girl, her name is uh, Mia. She went missing like two weeks before that happened. And Citizen played a part in bringing her home. So the father became close with me. You know what I'm saying? Because he said that, you know, we played a part in bringing his daughter home. And we were someone that he respected a lot because no one else would help him find his daughter. And me and a couple of friends of mine, we were looking for his daughter. And a friend of mine actually helped him find his daughter. The same little girl who covered her little brother, Christian, in that shootout. So what we've been trying to do is, you know, um, um, cover them with our protection and make sure that they're protected, make sure they're not being exploited. You know, because all of these news meetings and stuff is trying to exploit them and use them for different purposes instead of trying to relocate them out of the Bronx where they live. They need to be relocated. They need to be, they need to be given other opportunities because this girl has seen so much already. And then she was in the middle of a shootout where she took the, she had more courage than I will ever have by covering her little brother and making sure that he wasn't shot, willing to sacrifice her own, her own life at 10 years old. So I work closely with them, trying to make sure that we can you know, uh, relocate them. Um, the Yankees did something nice for them, put them in a the skybox. But I say, yo, don't put them in a the skybox, put them in a, a, a skyscraper. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Don't put them in a the skybox to a game, put them in, in the same building you live in and let them, let them live a, a great life for the rest of their life. She already sacrificed her life. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's what I work with now. The the young the young brother he was arrested, you know. And um, I pray for him. You know what I mean? I pray for his family. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times the decisions that we make are not based on our own thoughts and our own decisions. They're based on influences from the outside. And a lot of times we think that people want us to do things, and they're not even thinking about you. You know what I'm saying? So he felt that he needed to do that. He felt that he needed to kill this young this other young man. You know what I'm saying? And and now he's going to spend a lot of time in prison 
for being reckless. Yo, Mike, I want you to think about something. <clears throat> in every community, in every black and brown and under-resourced community, we can almost tell who we're gonna be raising money for for their funeral next. In every single community, in your hood, it's unfortunate, Mice. You know what I'm saying? And I say this from the bottom of my heart. It's unfortunate that you can ride in your hood and know who you're going to be raising money for to bury one day. You know what I'm saying? So if we know this, right? If we know that we're going to, this guy is active and we're going to be raising money to bury him because we know he don't got life insurance, right? And we know this, why we can't raise the same money to change his life while he's alive. You know what I'm saying? And the police, the police alone have this intel, mice. They know who's active, who's doing this, who's doing that, and they know they're going to be picking them up and putting them in the body bag soon. Why they don't use the same intel to change this person's life? Because, because that's not the goal, Prince. The Prince, the goal is they need perps. They need collars, right? So they see a 13, 14-year-old kid they see is on the road to this, and rather than give them different opportunities and, and change the scenario and give them you know, a different perspective, they, they watch them and then they interact with them to where they make them feel like, you know, you're a criminal already and, and they watch it and they just, and they just playing cat and mouse. They just waiting for them to slip up. They just wait, like, we know you're going to do this because we see the trajectory on. They don't want to invest no monies in the communities to make sure that those kids right there, you know, are, are redirected, you know, and the energy that they have, which is usually just lying energy that's been misdirected and pointed in the wrong direction, you know, they don't point it and give it to something else. They don't, they don't give them something else to give that energy to because it's intentional. They want to lock you up. They're building jails for our kids. I say that all the time. They're not building jails for me and you because they know we're not going back to jail. They know that. They're building jails for our kids. The new jails is for our kids. And that's why we're the most dangerous to them. You know what I'm saying? That's why, you, that's why I fight with people on, on your post all the time. You know what I'm saying? Those are the ones that are the most dangerous. Like, so for... First of all, we have to identify who are the high risk. The high risk are the people who are stopping people like me and you from eliminating those high risk individuals. You know what I'm saying? Those people that's that's trolling, that's saying these nasty comments, that's allowing people to, you know, build a momentum so we can't do the work that we want to do. Don't forget, I have a full-time job. So everything I do, I do it on my own time. You know what I'm saying? And I do it because. I do not want to one bury my nephews. I don't want to bury my grandson. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't want to bury nobody. I don't want to bury nobody's nephews, nobody's grandson. So I go extra hard with this. You know what I'm saying? But you got so many people that fight against the truth. And the truth is, the same money that we raised to bury them, we could give these kids the same money while they're alive. That's we right. give these kids the same opportunities while they're alive. You know what I'm saying? And and they don't want you to do that, mice. Of course they don't. They don't yeah. want you to save lives. No in lives. That's the goal, you know. What, what do you think us, you know, we understand the powers that be. We understand the structure. We understand the system. We understand how everything is geared toward in, either imprisoning us or watching us going in, in, in graves. What do you think that we need to tell the people like us, the people in the communities, the quote-unquote OGs, the ones, the gangsters? What, what, what message? How, how do we get through to them that they have a responsibility to lead these kids in a different direction, that they have a responsibility to give these kids opportunities and chances and things that they didn't have so they don't make the same mistakes. How do you, how do you think we relate that message? What do you think we need to do? 
so I, I read this book when I was when I was teaching at the new school. Um, I, I think it was called Teens Who Hurt, right? And they spoke about, I think it was Tracy Lashlofi and, and Kenneth Hardy or something like that. And they talked about um, a, a, a thing called VCR, not the VCR that we know about. It's validation, challenge, and request, right? And a lot of the OGs in our hood are being validated for the wrong things. You know what I'm saying? So if we could validate them, but when they start to do the right things and we start to validate them, we could validate them and give them that, you know, that power that they need to make what we're talking about trending. Just like they make tight pants trending, oh, we, 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 we can make peace trending. You know what I'm saying? Just like they make tight pants trending, the OGs have the ability to make peace trending and to make, you know, um, um, cleaning our neighborhoods trending because they love validation. If they could be part of a cleanup in a hood, if they could be part of, of running a tournament in their name in the hood, we don't have to, we don't have to be out there. We can give it all to them. They can do everything that you're doing. They can do. You don't have to do it. You know what I'm saying? But we got to give them that, that validation. Then we have to challenge them. We have to challenge them because you can't live on, you can't live on both sides of the narrative. Either you want to save your community and help the community, or you want to continue to destroy it. You can't go to the doctor to get poisoned. You know what I'm saying? And that's yep. what we're doing. We're going to the doctor to get poisoned. And now we got to make a request. We got to make a request. We got to challenge these corporations. We got to challenge these big, you know, people get killed over Jordans. They get killed over Nikes. They get killed over Adidas. They get killed over iPhones. We got to challenge these big corporations to, to, to funnel some of that money that we spend. You know how how easy they get up $1,200 to go get the new iPhone when it comes out, but Apple ain't even thinking about coming to the communities. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? A kid will go crazy to get that $1,200. He will scam, he will steal, he will rob, he would kill to get an iPhone. But Apple will not come into the community and change that kid's life. So we gotta, we gotta, we gotta have the OGs request this. Yeah, and I think that's, that's what it is for me. You know, I started this campaign called Boycott and Black Murder, and, and it's based on that. It's, you know, it's us being set in the trend. Like you said, like, they want validation from us, right? So we 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 dictate what cool is, you know what I'm saying? Somehow we make we made the negative and the murder and the violence cool. That That's what validated you. That was your right to passage. If you wasn't somebody who was notorious or savage, like these is words that we use to describe us, all type of derogatory monster and all type of names that are negative connotations to describe us and that's some level of validation. So what I say is we have to we have to utilize that same, you know, the same method and make being unified, make the person, the gangster person is the one who stops somebody from shooting. You know, when you, when you, that's what you respect it. You respect it when you protect your community. That's what we give accolades to. That's the people we want to respect. That's the one who's lit. You know, when you walk in your community and, and the old ladies respect you and they're happy to see you because they don't feel threatened that you're going to do something to you and that you're not a monster, that you're a king and that you're a general and you're a true soldier. The true soldiers, you know, a real warrior never wants to have to actually have to engage in war. That's the true, that is the true measure of a warrior that the, if the one who is fully prepared but never has to engage in war is probably the best warrior ever. I read that is a Chinese proverb. And, you know, and then that's what we have to, we have to retrain because we was taught wrong. So we got to start retraining these kids. So they start teaching them to each other and, and it's passed down to generations because somewhere along the way, you know, we, we, we glorified and, and, and love violence and negativity so much that it, it has become embedded in our culture. Yes. 
So, so Mike, so this year I, I actually, you know, um, I, I, I studied the uh, cure violence model and, you know, it's, it's about detecting behavior and, and um, changing community norms and things of that nature, right? And this year I took a different approach to violence. I actually started to identify high risk through a, through a different lens. First of all, in my language, there's no such thing as high risk. It's under resource. If they had resource, they wouldn't be high risk, right? But the high risk individuals are the ones are, are not the ones who are actually committing the crime. There's only a small percentage of people in our neighborhoods that's doing these crimes, that's doing these shootings, right? The high risk are the ones that's listening. We need to start reaching to the ones that's listening, the ones that's in school, the ones that's trying to get a job because they're so easily manipulated and, and can easily be uh, forced into a life that they don't want to be in. They are the high risk because they got to prove a point. I was just talking to somebody today, I'm not going to say no names, but he's a gangster, but he's privileged. You know what I'm saying, Mice? He's, yeah. he's a, he's a gang, you know him. You know what I'm saying? He's a gangster, but he's privileged. You know what I'm saying? And he doesn't want to look at his privilege. And I told him, I said, to, I said, brother, you have to identify who you are first. Mm. I'm not saying you're not tough, but, but understand that you're privileged and that the people that you're hanging around with being tough with do not have that privilege. They don't have someone to buy them a car. They don't have someone to put them in a new house. They don't have someone to get them stuff when, they, when they're hungry. You know what I'm saying? So you, I need you to identify that first. That is the high risk individual right there. Mm-hmm. The ones that's listening, who can be easily manipulated into becoming a shooter. Because unfortunately, my, and, and, and I, it took me a while to come to this conclusion, the shooters are gonna cancel themselves out. Mm-hmm. And we gotta start reaching out to the ones that are listening. The ones that are doing well in high school, the ones that, that want to play ball in high school, the ones that want to become engineers. And we got to start reaching out to them because they are really the high risk. They are the ones that can really become very, very treacherous in our neighborhoods because they're smart, they listen, and they, and they calculate their moves. You know what I'm saying? The, the unfortunate dummies, the ones that, that's not listening, that's, that's just out there recklessly shooting at kids and stuff like that. They're going to see how he canceled himself out. That's unfortunate, but that happens. We have to reach the ones that's listening right now because I used to always try to reach out to ones that ain't listening and knuckleheads and that. And I was like, it's like beating a dead horse because they, they're going to do, they're already there. A risk is trying to avoid something from happening. So with HIV, to avoid the risk is using condoms. You know what I'm saying? But once you got HIV, you're no longer high risk. You got it. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So once you're a shooter, you're a shooter. So you got to reach the ones that can become shooters. And that's the, that should be the approach. That should be the model. That should be the new task. It makes sense to me. I say that all the time, man. I say, you know, we talk about defunding the police and, and police police community, community police. And, and, and that's what our job is. Our job is to, you know, to be able to detect those people and see those and, 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 and you know, intercept those situations. Because a lot, like, you know, I know a kid from my community who was young, and, you know, unfortunately, I seen him sleeping on the streets. He was one of the most privileged kids in the community. And um, his mother, father both had good jobs. He just wanted to be outside. He wanted to be in the mix of everything. And unfortunately, you know, the streets got the best of him. And, and it looks like somebody probably slipped him some K2 or something. And he was, he was, he was, he, he wanted to, he wanted to be accepted by the culture. And that's what it is. The, the privileged ones 
They want to be accepted by the culture. They want to be seen as this tough guy. They want to be, you know, someone who is respected by the culture so much that they they become the most detrimental ones. So you're right, man. We we got we just got to get back to get the resources in our community, get the people like ourselves and the younger the younger versions of ourselves in the community who people you know understand and respect and understand that we we pretty much been through what it is that they've been through. You know, like I said all the time, those directly impacted got to be the solution, man. We can't we can't have people who ain't been through nothing coming to the communities and talking to these kids because they don't want to hear it. Because I didn't want to hear it. You wasn't going to come to my community or be even in a community and you wasn't in, in a level of, you know, what it is that I was doing and tell me not to do it. You know, I, I, you was a square. Like, you can't have a conversation with me. And I wish I would have been the square back then. And I wish I was the square, but understanding that the square just wasn't going to get to me. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. We black squares now, but but back then, we the people who who had never been involved in any level of these streets wasn't gonna tell me what was going on because they 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 couldn't identify in my mind what it is that I was dealing with. Yo, Mike, before before I caught my time in prison, right? I was I used to hang out in front of a building um, called American Towers in Queens, right? And um, I I never forget it was he was a senator. His name was Malcolm Smith. He was like the first one, she was like the majority leader at one time when Patterson was here. And he came to the building and he said, hey guys, how you doing? My name is Malcolm Smith. I'm Senator, you know, my office is around the corner. I'm letting you guys know that um, I'm gonna have some jobs for you guys. You know what I'm saying? Get you guys some construction jobs and stuff like that. He said, um, but I just wanna let you know that this is no longer gonna exist. And he was saying with this, he was saying like this drug game, this building is gonna be shut down. We're gonna like fix this area up. I said, if you don't get the f out of my face and don't ever come back around here again, if you do, you're going to have a problem. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't even know who I was talking to at the time until I was in Sing Sing watching David Patterson do an address and I see Michael Smith sitting next to him. You know what I'm saying? And how, how like, who he was at the time, he could have just came and eradicated me. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Ben took me, I wish he would have because I would have never caught my case, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and you know, but but we do not respect those who come to the hood or come to our neighborhoods that you know don't understand what we're going through. That you gotta have the right uniform, man. You gotta, you gotta know you gotta come to the people as the people and, exactly. and and they own like they love you mice and but they don't they, they don't respect the fact that you're taking a, a non-traditional way of doing things. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? They rather like, you know, and I say it all the time, like, yo, Fifth, come in the hood and tell these dudes, yo, come buy all their guns from them. You know what I'm saying? You got 200, 300 million, come buy all their guns from them. When I say come buy all their guns from them, come say, yo, give me your guns, right? And here's the opportunity. They do these buyback programs and give you $200 for a gun. I'm not giving you no, I'm not giving my gun up for $200 when I could get $600 off the block. Mm -hmm. Give him $1,000 in a job and a promise that you're gonna give him an opportunity, I bet we'll have a whole bunch of guns in, in, in the back of the U-Haul truck. That's right. You know what I'm saying? We gotta take more aggressive approaches when it comes to gun violence. That's, that's a real conversation. That's a, that's, a, that's a whole episode, you know? What, what should be the responsibility of these hip hop artists that, that claim to represent and be from our communities? What is their responsibility to protect, you know, and, and steer these kids in the right direction? We can we can talk about this all day, but I love you, bro. I just want you before we leave. I want you to um, this if you if you had one word to say 
to a young boy, young shooter like yourself, you know, like you were, you know, you've evolved into way more than that. You know, somebody who was at a stage that you are and you had to sit down, you just had one one minute to talk to. What would you what would you say to him? I would tell him that Rikers Island is a gel that's surrounded by water, right, Mice? And you know, to get to Rikers Island, like when I, when I went from like Elmhurst to go across the bridge, it took me five minutes to go across that bridge, right? When you're shackled, you feel the turbulence going across that bridge. It took me five minutes to go across that bridge and almost 20 years to get back to the other side. Mm. That short ride across the bridge, it took me 20 years to come back to the other side. So if you can, if the only thing you could do in your life is when you wake up, is be intentional. Hey, man. I appreciate you, bro. I love you, man. Oh, man. I love you, you too, work, man. Mike, it's a, it's a pleasure of, of, of just talking with you. I love you to death, man. And I'm going to follow you to the end of the world, bro. You are great. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Love you, King Priest. Peace. Appreciate you, man. The final season of Power Book 2 Ghost is here, and no one's future is safe. After surviving a hit on her life, Monet, played brilliantly by Mary J. Blige, has to reckon with what led her to almost lose everything and to atone for the life she has forced her children to live. And on the other side of the coin, Davis, portrayed by the multi-talented Method Man, is suspended and on the verge of losing his law license. Desperate to survive, he fully embraces the criminal underbelly of his enterprise and finds himself working for both sides, loyal to whichever one benefits him most. And then, of course, there's Tariq, who finds himself at rock bottom and facing threats from every angle. With his future in the game in serious doubt and his family's safety on the line, will he lean into the St. Patrick name and do whatever has to be done to get back on top? Like father, like son. Power Book 2, Ghosts, the final season. Watch now, only on Stars and the Stars app. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more, connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and an Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers. Other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. When the NBA championship is on the line, every pass, every shot, and every dribble is immediately, undeniably consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, real blood, and real tears. Trust me, I know what it takes to bring home a championship ring. The regular season is tough, but these games are a completely different level. Now is the time when legacies are made. The best team will bring home the Larry O'Brien Trophy and add their name to basketball history. Will we see a battle between marquee franchises or will we see a new champion crowned? Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year? their year these are the moments of unscripted pure entertainment that only happen on the hardwood you've waited all season for this it's time to take it to the next level the nba finals continue tune in on abc shout out to my brother prince matt you see why he's somebody that i respect and love man his energy his intelligence his growth his evolution you know that's one of my things being an evolutionary and the way he's evolved into this person 
this beacon of light, someone who's been there. And when you look at him, you can see that he understands the coach. He understands what you're dealing with, but you also see that he's evolved to a place where he's able to give the message to those who really need it. So shout out to my brother, Prince Matt, man, for doing the work, for being a beacon of light, for being somebody who's changed. Keep doing what you're doing. Now, we had pre-recorded this because, you know, originally we were supposed to have Ms. Jenkins on, but she didn't. So we wanted to pause it and hopefully she'd get back another day. But unfortunately, we weren't able to do it. So me and Tamika had pre-recorded the episode. And the next interview is going to be with our brother, Shan Duke McFadden, and she will be present. And I want you all to pay attention to this one because this is another brother, another brother who is really outside making astronomical changes in his community. Good to have uh, Shanduk McFadder of GMAC in Brooklyn, New York. Our change come, maker. That's right, to come as our change maker. Um, and also because Shanduk deals with shooters every day, right? So Shanduk, we are happy to have you on Street Politicians for the first time, but it won't be your last. That's right, that's right. Thank you, thank you. yes, first time, not the last. <laughs> What's going on, Shanduk? How you feeling today? I'm blessed, highly favored. That's that's how it goes. You know, that's, that was my brother Bing's favorite line. Blessed and highly favored. Mm. And it came from my brother, so we always go with that. Every day, blessed and highly favored. Amen, man. That's the, I use that line all the time, too, man. So tell the people, give people some background on what, what GMAC stands for, what the work that you do. Just a little bit of background. Yeah, I got you. So, you know, in this work, I realize I, I have to so often tell who I am, what I've been through, for people to understand how I'm capable of doing the work that I'm capable of doing. Uh, born and raised Brooklyn, Kings County Hospital, raised to a single mother, never seen my father. I was raised in the projects after my mother got us back from foster care. I became a product of what was around me in the White Corp, NYCHA houses in downtown South Brooklyn. By the age of 16, I was first incarcerated, became one of the first adolescents to join United Blood Nation. This was Rikers Island, 94. So when I did it, it was only adults. The adolescents didn't even have a, a box or a bing or a shoe. We were sent to HDM and that's where we met the adults who ultimately introduced me to what became a product of my life that sent me back and forth throughout the prison system. In 2008, uh, I was finishing up my last prison sentence from 5, 2005, 2008, the criminal possession of a weapon. And I seen a father who seen who met his son, who he had on a conjugal visit, never seen that child a day in his life in the streets. And that child came to Sing Sing prison with 35 years at 17 years mm. of age. And I was the only person who witnessed that experience. And I had to make changes because I had twin boys who were then about six or seven years old. And I decided to change my mindset. And I ultimately know that I had to be part of the solution and no longer part of the problem. So I created an organization that made sense to me which is GMAC, which stands for Gangsters Making Astronomical Community Changes. And that is a 501c3 nonprofit public charity that focuses on gun violence from a public health perspective, also dealing with social justice issues and all the things under the umbrella that's causing the violence and the issues in our community. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's dope. And, you know, I'm always amazed at how you're able to be a conduit, you know, how you're able to connect the culture you know, be in tune with the culture of hip hop, understand what goes on in our community, to speak the language and the lingo and connect with those people who are still respected in the streets, but still have this positive and make 
those people be the people that stop the violence. Like you mm-hmm. said, you know, you was once part of the problem and you want to be part of the solution. And I'm amazed at how you engage these kids that's in the street that don't even understand how they can be the solution, how you able to speak the language with them and still make right. them feel... Because we, we was having this conversation before about being cool or, and being respected, right? And the way that you're able to make people understand that you can be respected for stopping violence. You don't have to be mm-hmm. in this this culture of violence and, and negativity that you can get respect and you can still look the same way. You still dress the same way. You still, you know, can represent what it is that you represent, but you can do it in a positive form. So, yeah. you know, I'm amazed at the way that you're able to do that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I, I created GMAC when I was upstate in upstate box. And I had to come up with the first, they had to come up with the name, the acronym and all that. And I knew if I came home and said I was a good guy making changes, they'd have looked at me and laughed. Like, man, if you don't get out of here with that good guy stuff. So I had to come with what I knew, what experience I had, and I brought that to the table. And even that, people look at the fact that the first world is gangsters, and I get people talking about, what's this, what's that? But they don't understand, and it's not for everybody to understand. The work that we do, we know people never understand everything that we do. People will never agree with everything that nobody does. But we have to use our actions to show and prove, and that's what I do. So I, I, nothing happened to me that made me change other than me seeing a father witness his child come through the prison system. And I didn't want my children, nobody else children to experience that. So that was the catalyst of change for me. I ain't telling nobody, ain't nothing, nobody put no hands on me. It was just about change, the shift of my prefrontal cortex, my brain. And when I came out, it was, oh, you Malcolm, you Malcolm, same thing you used to go through, brother. You know what I'm saying? We Malcolm, we Malcolm, get out. Listen, this is what it is, right? You know, we got to, we, we can't be afraid of our children. We can't be afraid of things that we experience and bring it back to the table to get people to understand that we have experience that they don't have. We want to deter them from going through the things that we went through. But being genuine about it, you know, it, people are afraid to be genuine. People want to follow the trends, right? And I, my goal is to set trends and take the popularity out of negativity and bring the popularity to positivity, just like y'all doing. Mm. You know, when you talk about my son and how some people say, oh, you, who you think you are, Martin or Malcolm. It's like people make, try to make mockery of what he's doing today. Um, you know, based upon his story, his trajectory, where he came from, has, have you experienced that? Did, when you first came home and decided to start an organization, did you go through something similar? Oh yes. I definitely went through that. I'm still going through that. Mm. Like the brother. One of the things that I had to do when I came home was first I moved to Atlanta with my twin sister. Right? I had to make sure mentally I was prepared to go back to the community because so often brothers and sisters go back to the same neighborhood where they got names and such and, and they fall victim to the same actions. So for me, I had to mentally make sure I was ready. Second, when I created GMAC and came back to Brooklyn, I didn't go to the neighborhood that I grew up in, which is White Oak Kiwanis because I knew they would not understand. It didn't make, you know, me coming back talking about stop shooting, they're like, hold up, what is this brother talking about? That's trife, we're not trying to hear it. He, you know, it was a lot that I had to think about before I made those choices. That was one of the reasons I went into 67 Precinct area, East Flatbush with Jumani, because it was outside of the neighborhood and I was able to focus on the work where there was a high level of shootings over there. So I'll be able to show you through the work regardless of what assumptions you may have of me especially with me still just being who I am, dress how I feel, talk how I speak about what I want to speak about, people misinterpret that with your actions around criminality, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's just the problem. Uh, I have to get people to see that I created something for myself that 
gave me something to do where I didn't need to find a criminal aspect to provide for myself, which is why we are creating these areas for ourselves of crime that put us back and forth in the system. So this is what it's about. We had to overcome that. Me and my and generals like myself going to a neighborhood where people expect you to come back and bring that same negative energy. So even in the work, there's people in, in other organizations that try to find something wrong with me in the work that I'm doing because they don't understand. They're, they're, you know, we got a bunch of individuals who are formerly incarcerated. They don't glamorize the fact that they've been incarcerated for murders and such, but recognizing it so that they can identify the people, the pains that they've been through to be able to, to make change and shift our communities. So we are people who are going to continue to be ostracized, right? If you look at our leaders, they, our leaders died up until the point of somebody believing that there was something wrong with Malcolm, there was something wrong with Malcolm. So we just got to keep working and pushing through. Mm -hmm. We appreciate that, man. And I want to ask you, just looking at where we are right now, you know, there's an uptick in violence, especially gun violence in our communities right now. And, you know, like myself, you are aware of a lot of the, the things that cause the violence in the communities. You know, I always say that poverty equals violence. You know, that's one of the main things I, I say. So I just want to know from your perspective of doing this work for so many years that you've been doing it, what do you think it's going to take to really cut the gun violence in, in, you know, in the inner cities and in the communities that we come from? It's going to take a lot more money mm. for community-based organizations. It's going to take other leaders that got money that they could give to these communities. We, we're spending too much time hoping that the city and elected officials are going to bail us out through our fight. And we cannot uh, depend on that alone. So we need everybody invested because some way, some form, we got a part to play. We played a part when we were young, and I'm just speaking in general. But to really answer the question, through my work, I've seen violence go down. Through our partners, the life camps, the man ups, the organizations that are doing this work, the, the work we are doing is shown in our areas where we focus. People don't know where we at, so they understand that we focus on a small area and we focus on the small percentage of the same individuals that's pushing the button, that's driving the violence. <laughs> not everybody in our community, no, no matter what they're trying to portray. So if you focus on all these individuals and throughout the city, throughout each borough, and you, are, you pinpoint who the shooters are, you pinpoint the individuals that's pushing that, you'll be able to bring down the violence because our goal is stopping the transmission. So every time somebody gets into an argument, we need to be able as a, as a people to be in that conversation to figure out how we could de-escalate because somebody may be more upset than the other person and walk off and think it's over and it's not over. And, and we had that uh, incident where our young 10-year-old was shot in Far Rockaway yeah. in of a parking spot. And if someone was able to have had that conversation after the argument, to bring that brother down, we would have saved the child's life. So that's what we got to do. And on top of that, we got to get these elders to step up, Mike. Mm -hmm. I know we're talking about these brothers. You know, I'm tired of brothers talking about these young boys is wilding and these young, man, man ain't no young boy ever going to tell me how to move. I, listen, these are our children, right? We have much more experience than we got to, we got to pull a rug from under them. We got to, we got to run up in, the, in, the, in their, their safe spaces, make sure they ain't got access to the things they got access to. We got to be accountable for them. These are our children pulling the trigger, killing our children. So if we're not the ones stepping up the men, our women shouldn't be on the front lines. All these guys is tough, they're gangsters, all their music is talking about it. The real toughness is in the streets stopping a young person from killing somebody. And that's what we gotta do. We gotta saturate the community with leaders who are not afraid to get in front of that, that gun and say, listen, we're not doing that, here's why. Amen, and I appreciate that. You know, I, I'm a t I wanna touch on something that's a little more 
you know, touchy for you. you personal, know, yeah. And personal. Um, you 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 lost your brother to gun violence, you know, while you was doing this work. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that that's something that is just a two pronged situation, just understanding what what the work entails. Okay. What were you gonna say? Well you say I, I like to reference that different, right? Because I didn't lose him. Mm. Okay. And I try to have a lot of survivors speak differently because mm. To lose something means I, it fell out of my pocket and I, I misplaced it. I ain't misplaced my brother. Somebody took him. He was right? taken. Mm-hmm. Taken, right? So we got to have our survivors understand that they ain't lose. It's a, we lo- it's a loss inside, but it, it was something that was taken from us. Yeah. So well, I, I appreciate that. I'll definitely start talking with that terminology more. So, you know, thank you for enlightening me with that. But your brother was taken from you while you was doing the work to make sure that somebody else's brother is not taken from them. You know, and you being close to me, we've had many discussions and different things, and I know a little, a lot more than the average person does. But I just want you to just kind of touch on that experience and how you continue to do this work with the same mind state and the same heart, and you know, and you move forward. Maybe your mind and your heart is not the same, or are not the same. My, my mind and my heart definitely ain't the same. It can't. It can't be the same. Mm. Nobody who takes a takes has a, a family member taken is ever the same. Mm. And people need to understand that they learn to deal with it, to live with it, but they never get over it. And mm. I'm somebody who comes from a different level of life and experience. And I have a uh, family, my mother, my sisters, my brother. My, my brother is actually right now in NBC. We got to go back to NBC. There's mm-hmm. a lot of things going on in there right now. But my family... Well, we, we should tell people that MDC... Is NBC Metropolitan Detention Center, the federal jail uh, in Brooklyn. We all us until freedom. We went and did the protest when they had no heat and lights in there. Uh, remember, like almost two years ago, yeah. like I said, my brother's in the there coldest now. winter, the coldest time during the winter of 2019. Yeah, no electricity, no water, no, no heat. Yeah, and we went before for those brothers in there. And this, we heard there's a lot going on in there, but we'll talk about that. I just thought about it as we referenced my brothers. So me coming up through the work has been something that helped me when my brother got murdered. And if I wasn't in his work, there's no telling the direction that I would that I would have mm-hmm. went. And if y'all remember, oh, I remember, oh, <laughs> yeah. I remember. There was many nights when we had to walk you off the ledge because you were like. How can I, I remember you saying this to me. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's so powerful. I remember you saying to me one night, tears rolling down your face. How can I not go take a life for the life that was taken from me being the man that everybody knows me to be? Like, this is who I am. I'm supposed to get revenge for this. And you said, but I know better. I know better. And 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 basically what I took from that is like, don't judge me because I feel it, because I'm being honest about the the emotion, but I have I have enough wisdom and um and I and I am I am I've, I'm, I'm, I've evolved enough, that's a good way of explaining it, that I can I need to go through this process, but I'm not gonna make the wrong decision at the end. And I, I was so moved, proud. And humbled by the fact that you allowed me to live in that moment with you. Thank you, sis. Thank you for sharing that emotional moment. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, 
Oh uh, yeah, and, and I, I thank you, and that's example example of what I'm talking about, right? That I had the right people to call and talk to and get the right type of feedback. And there's so many people in our communities, that's not the feedback that they get. Mm. It, it, let's go, let's get it done. You know, right in the hospital, the, the, the retaliation starts, the conversation starts. So what I realized for me, I had to turn that negative into some type of positivity for me to be able to move forward. And, you know, it, it, it catapulted me further into the work, right? I realized that before I was coming because I wanted to make change because I was part of the problem growing up, I was put into uh, the environment that I was put into, but I realized that now I had a different experience, mm. right? I wasn't only speaking from somebody who had picked up a gun, but I'm now speaking from a survivor's point. And I, I, I saw how a mother could possibly feel. I could never feel a mother's pain uh, because it's a brother, but it's still, it's a brother that I raised. We had no father. So it's, you know, just imagine the relationship. So the fact that I had the right people around me, it, it, it supported me and it kept me going, but I still had to find a, a different way to cope with it myself. And that's important for people to understand that there's a lot of things that happen when you're dealing with something like that, that are traumas. Mm. Families that still live in the same neighborhood and go back and forth home and believe that those guys they just passed, one of them killed their child. Wow. But, they, but the system, society don't say, I want to give you an emergency move, ma'am, and move your family out of that neighborhood so that you can have some way to deal with your trauma. I had to realize that through my traumas, right? And even some of the traumas, right, to text y'all like, yo, what's up with this and what's up with that? Because I could be driving. No, you got to explain what's up with what. Yeah, what's up with what. So, all right, so for example, I, let's say uh, I'm going to go to something that was real traumatic for me, right? Where I told you that there's somebody that was speaking on the person who allegedly murdered my brother. And I'm like, yo, what's up? Why is, why is these people speaking on this, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a topic that people should be speaking on, mm -hmm. right? I don't speak on it because there's somebody who is still being tried, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when you're talking about, once again, we're talking about street codes and ethics, even though I live a life that I'm not in the streets committing crimes, I still follow codes, ethics, and, ethics mm -hmm. and principles. So give somebody that opportunity to make it through the court system before we talk about anything, right? That's, that's what's supposed to happen. You don't take a platform and, and speak on somebody who is accused of a crime because of your voice. What you do is you taint people who believe in you to believe that somebody's actually a good person where they actually isn't, right? Or they're right. not the person that you are talking about because of your personal relationship. That's one thing. Another thing was for me, I'm driving in the car and I'm, I'm listening to the radio. And the radio says, on this day, we're having a concert at Irving Plaza. I'm like, oh. Right. How can you have a concert at the same place where well, my brother was killed and they have done nothing to reconcile? Nothing, nothing, nothing to stop. Nothing to stop it, right? And so me and Mike spoke about this before. That could have been prevented. I know it could have been prevented, mm -hmm. right? If the right people would have been in the conversation when homeboy flew in who called son, Right, I, I, you know, I don't want to do names. We could do that another I understand. time. But when the brother came in, he called the brother to the show because he felt the brother had some ground in the streets in New York, right? So that's that's the method that happens in hip hop. And this is what we're talking about. When you come into a city, you should get in tune with the real people in the city. And when you get people that talk about it, they talk about, well, what is this, a no-fly zone or a check-in? It's not about a check-in. We misinterpret that. It's about understanding the climate, the energy of the city that you're going into and making sure you don't create a further violent atmosphere by bringing the wrong people into the same space, 
right? Mm -hmm. And having the correct people in the community who are aware of the issues in that neighborhood to be there. So let's say one person comes in and somebody who we identify as a problem pulls up to that door, we gotta have the right communication, not to agitate the situation, but to let them put the person know that this is an environment that we can let you come in today. Preventive measures, right? And that's that's what I saw that didn't happen, right? In that environment that my brother got murdered in. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing for, for me, it's an ongoing thing for my family, but I utilize it also to even help people who I know are constantly going through that every day. So mm -hmm. that goes something to my said earlier. I, I see brothers and everybody, yo, my, my brothers got killed. I know what you're talking about, bro. Come here, let me talk to you, right? Let me tell you what I went through. And what I, when I was going through that, I also got people who I never knew of just DM me, messaging me, and telling me they was watching me and how I dealt with that, and then helped them cope with it differently and not take a life. And this is people in other states and countries. So it's an ongoing process, it's trauma. And I use it to help me help people, but there's people who are not as strong as me, and we need to be able to find the right resources to be able to provide ongoing trauma services to our community that's continuing to deal with this gun violence. Wow. Wow, man. Well, listen, we can have this conversation all day, man. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, we got to move on and do a few other things. I know you got a lot of work to do. You know, got to get you a battery for. Yeah, we got to get you a battery for your smoke the detector. The smoke detector, carbon monoxide. You know, there's a. Right, again, just now too. So. <laughs> yeah, there's there's this thing on uh, online where they say black folks just sit through it like it's a part of the sound in the house, like it just becomes background noise. You didn't even hear it at first, but you know now that thing is telling you. That change the battery. You need to change the battery, need battery because there could be a fire or carbon monoxide in the area and you won't know. Okay? I hear it now. And sometimes that's what it takes. <laughs> we, we may ignore things in life, but someone who cares about us points it out to that's us. And right. if we ignore it, it will hurt us. But if we, we listen, we will learn and fix things. So that's Amen. right. Well, we have had those conversations painfully and lovingly many times Amen. over the years. And certainly, I think we've grown, both of us, from those conversations. So we love you so much, Shandu. Thanks for joining yeah. Yeah. Street Politicians. Before I, wait, before I go, I just want people to know, right, that, you know what I'm saying, even though I'm, I'm tough and all that, you know, you called me out for a fair one and all that. So <laughs> yeah, she definitely did. She called you up. Y'all get on my nerves. Y'all people crazy. I have they, had to do listen. this one, too, several times. She used an explicit when she said, I will F you up. That's yeah, <laughs> she used exponents. Ex yeah, she definitely, expletive. expletive. She used expletive. a lot of expletives, man. Yeah, well, that's, that's the word, expletive. Expletive, yes, that's expletives. the word. But that's because y'all got on my nerves. So don't mess with me, and I won't have no issues with you. La, la, la. <laughs> Yo, love Thanks, you, bro. Duke. We talk to you later. Yes, out of soon. Peace. Peace. Yes, shout out to Shan Duke, man. Dope interview, dope person, another one of my brothers, man. We always say we got friends, and look, this is why we call them our friends. Our friends are literally changing the world. Like, you know, we get so much flack from so many things, man, that it, it is amazing. You know, I get called all types of names and all this, and, and sometimes I get frustrated, but then I look at the people I'm surrounded by, I look at history and I say, Everybody who's doing what, I, what I'm trying to do, everybody who has been you know, elevated, who's been talked about throughout history had to go through the same things. Not putting myself on the same level as, as those brothers, but saying to myself, anybody who is really trying to make change, who is going left while everybody's going right, who is trying to change a narrative that has been so engulfed and embedded in this culture for so long, 
is going to receive nothing but flack. You're going to receive hate. Everybody is not going to love you. I say all the time, I'm a quiet taste. I'm honest to a fault. And sometimes, you know, it is, it's a gift and a curse. But to me, you see what this has to say, shameless plug, character is currency, man. And, you know, my character is the way that I've survived my whole life. I wasn't somebody with a silver spoon. All I ever had was character. You know, and, and that brings me to my I don't get it. What I really don't get is how do we, as a culture, allow people to trick us into believing that violence and negativity was something to glorify? Like when I and, and I and I was guilty of it. Like I, I was I was all the way into it. Like when we look at the what we call ourselves monsters and savages and all of these names that that mean the most derogatory things and demons and all of these things. We, we've taken on this narrative and these names to describe us and it's some level of a badge of honor. It's something that we glorify, it's something that we look up to. How did we allow people to trick us into believing that we were savages and demons? How do we allow them to tell us to glorify us taking our brother's lives, somebody who come from the same communities we come from, have to overcome the same ills that we have to overcome, have to step over the same pits in the same elevators, mothers on the same drugs as ours, getting the same um, public assistance, you know, welfare checks, all those things, somebody who's dealing with the same exact things we're dealing with. They tricked us into believing that taking his life and not valuing his life made me some level of real, quote unquote real. How do we do that? I really don't get it now. You know, when you when you start to reflect, and, I, and I'm not and I'm not talking down because these is a lot of young kids. They engulfed in the culture, and they go, "Oh, OG, you talking that positive shit?" And it's like, whatever. Listen, we, either you're gonna learn. See, a wise man learns from other people's mistakes. A smart man learns from his own. I, I, I was a smart man. I wasn't as wise. I was I was a little bit wise, but. For ultimately, I was smart. I had to learn from my own mistakes. I'm hoping that the young people that I'm talking to can be wise, be wiser than me. I tell my son all the time, I am a cheat sheet through life. If you pay attention to me, if you just listen to me, then you'll never make the same mistakes I make. You might make your own. You might have to do some things that I never went through and you might make mistakes there, but you'll never make the same mistakes that I did or never actually have to go through the same things that I have to go through. And that's, a, that's my message to you young kids, man. Don't allow anybody to trick you into losing your life for your freedom. Don't allow anybody to tell you anything that is detrimental to your life or your freedom is something that is a badge of honor, that is a right to passage, that is something to glorify. Anybody who is trying to put you in a position to lose your life, your freedom, your family, to lose anything that is of any value to you is not your friend. They are not somebody that you should listen to. I don't care if it's music, I don't care what it is. You know, we have to take back our culture. We have to redefine what manhood is. We have to redefine what cool, what lit, what real, what's popping. We have to redefine, redefine what those things are. Because what is defined now is killing us. We losing bodies are dropping every day in our communities. 
And it's only because somebody tricked us into believing that that was something to glorify. So with that said, I'm going to close out. My sister's not here, but she ain't going to always be wrong when she's here. And I'm not going to always be right, but most of the time I am, but especially in this moment. I'm right about this. Kings stop killing kings. But we will always, we will always be what then? Peace! Number one show, baby. Number one. See how long my finger is? Number one. That's how we own it! This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. The NBA Finals continue. Tune in on ABC. There are moments in life that are so special that you have to capture them and save them forever. They are one of those once-in-a-lifetime events, like your baby's first steps, the first time you bring your family pet home, or your daughter's first dance performance. With iPhone 15 Pro, more storage means you don't have to delete anything that can become a lasting memory one day. And it's important to be able to share these moments with family members who weren't there to see them in person. Store more, share more. Connect with iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T. Get iPhone 15 Pro on AT&T and get an iPad and Apple Watch for 99 cents per month each. AT&T, connecting changes everything. Limited time offer requires 0% APR, 36-month agreement on each. Well-qualified customers, other terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash iPhone for details.